Well, good morning. Hey, we're glad to have you here today. Um, you know, I'm thankful for a lot of things at the Bible Chapel. They have some great ministries going on. But I'm so thankful uh, for Nancy Harrison, who led our children's ministry for years, and her vision for ministry to people with special needs. And I'm thankful uh, for uh, Jennifer Christensen and uh, for Jacqueline uh, Royal for their passion uh, to do that ministry. You know, before Jacqueline joined our staff uh, as a volunteer, uh, she was putting on uh, respites for families around the holidays so they could come and the kids could be here and have a great time together while the parents um, went shopping or whatever they needed to do. And I'm thankful for you guys because uh, what you saw today is only possible through those who gave to beyond these walls. That whole wing that was built for special needs came through, was funded by beyond these walls. And so we all had a part of that everyone who participated. So it's pretty cool what we can do together, right? I spoke to a family uh, and they said, we wouldn't be able to go to church if it wasn't for that ministry. And so we're just thankful that God put on the heart of uh, these individuals and gave them the passion and, uh, and we get to be uh, a part of that. So, Father, we thank you that you are a good, good Father. That's just your characteristic. That's just your attribute. That's just who you are. And we're loved by you. We have our identity in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that as we live our lives, that we would... We would do the things that count for eternity. And we wouldn't get caught up in going along to get along. We wouldn't get caught up into our, our culture's desires for bigger, faster, better. But, Father, we would get caught up in you. And we would, we would, we would demonstrate to a watching world. We would not only proclaim, but we would demonstrate that we're in love with Jesus and we follow him, and we stand for him even if we have to stand alone. So I pray, Father, that you would be with us today as we look into your word. Teach us as only you can do, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So it was a warm Monday in late June when Ann and David Worley boarded the first car of Metro Train 112, the red line in Washington, D.C. They had been on the outskirts of D.C. training to be hospital volunteers, and now they were on their way back home. There was a young girl sitting up front who got up and gave them their seat so they could sit together. That was appropriate because David and Ann were inseparable since high school. They were looking forward to celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary with the trip to Europe. David Worley was actually um, a decorated fighter pilot and Air Force officer. During the 9-11 attacks, he was, he was the guy, he was the general who scrambled fighter jets 
over D.C. area and ordered pilots to use their discretion to shoot down any passenger jet that might pose a threat to the city. But even when he was the commanding general, Worley refused to be chauffeured around. He just would rather take the metro. However, this ride ended abruptly at 4.58 p.m., with the sounds of screeching wheels on the track and broken glass and bending metal and loud screams as train 112 slammed into another train that had stopped on the tracks because there was a lot of traffic ahead of him. The impact drove a thick wall of metal and metro seats and ceiling panels into the front of train 112, killing David and Ann and seven others and leaving 80 people injured. Now, the crazy thing about it is that collision should have never happened. The Washington metro system is made up of over 100 miles of track wired. On the track, there are these sensors wired to, to detect and control trains. And when, when trains get too close to each other, these sensors automatically slow down the trains. But on that day, as train 112 rounded a corner, there was a one faulty sensor. And it didn't allow the stopped train to even show up in the system. And so... As the train rounded the corner, instead of decelerating, it accelerated, causing the deadliest crash in the history of the Washington metro. Let's think about it. A complex system of innumerable parts that exist to keep the metro running, a crash because of one little sensor malfunction. People died. A few cars back, there was a producer of National Public Radio riding in a train, Jasmine Garst, and she wrote this. She said, I think in moments like these, you come to realize two things, how tiny and vulnerable we are in this world of massive machines we've built, and how ignorant we are of our vulnerability. It's true, isn't it? how tiny we are and how vulnerable we are. Now, human beings are not machines. We are complex organisms, and we are created amazingly in the image of God. Think about that. We are created in the image of the eternal God. And here's what it means. You you can follow along on your sermon notes if you'd like. Here's what it means. God is omnipotent. He He has these attributes, and he gives to us in his image what's called communicable attributes. So he is omnipotent. He is all powerful. We're not all powerful, but we have aspects of power. God is omniscient. He knows everything there is to know about everything there is to know. We're not that, but we can learn and grow and gain knowledge. God is eternal. Never been a time when he wasn't. Never will be a time when he isn't. We're not eternal like that. We have a beginning, but we will never have an end. God is a creator. 
from nothing, he created everything. We can't do that, but he has allowed us to create life. God's all loving, and we have the capacity to love and be loved. God exists in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we desire that as well, right? We desire this relationship. God communicates to us through his word, his love letter to us, and we can communicate to each other. God is, God is perfect. We're not perfect, but we do know the difference between right and wrong. God is spirit, and we have the spiritual understanding. And that's in Genesis 1 and 2. We're made in the image of God, and we have this. We're a complex being. But then right after Genesis 2 comes what? Genesis 3, every doggone time. And here we are, made in the image of God with all these communicable attributes. And now, as, as Dave uh, taught us a couple weeks ago, if you didn't listen to that sermon, you need to go back and listen to it. The sin now, with the sin nature, it enters us, and now we struggle. Now we have this battle going on, made in the image of God. We, we want to have this relationship with him, and we have this internal sin going on. Therein lies the battle. So think of it this way. We've seen in our study of 1 Corinthians that Jesus is the foundation. So think of Jesus as the track. He's the, he's the track on which we live. He is solid. And we have these sensors within us. We could think of a lot of sensors, but let's, let's think of a few. First of all, we have this, the sensor of our mind, our thinking, the things we process internally. Our mind is an amazing thing, but I got to tell you this. If you could click up my mind and put everything I'm thinking on that screen, I wouldn't want to be a thousand miles from here. <laughs> Would you? And so we have these thoughts going on. Some are not very pretty. Some are impure. But we got to make sure that sensor is clicking, right? Or there's a crash ahead. We also have... Um, we also have the sensor of words, words that can, that, can, uh, that can build people up, make them feel like they're a million dollars. And in the next breath, what can we do? We can rip someone apart. Reckless words pierce like a sword. We, we have these desires, these sensors that... That, that kind of our spiritual sensor of desire. And, and, and there are things that we want to accomplish in life. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm battling all the time. Man, is that what God wants me to do or is that what I want to do? Is that really what God wants me to do or is that just a, a, a sinful ambition that I have? And then we have another sensor. Again, any of these sensors, when they're malfunctioning, they make us crash. And then we have this Sensor right here, sex. I love saying that word because you guys get so quiet when I say it. <laughs> this great gift from God, right? It's a great gift from God, right? <laughs> it is a great gift from God. Thank you. One person agrees with me. It's more than normal, more than normal. Great gift from God, and, man, it can be used some pretty devastating ways, can't it? 
You don't have that since you're clicking. It can blow families apart. It can really crash. Impurity, pornography running rampant, one click away. Man, we are always one click away, right? Affairs. That, that, that sensor better be clicking. Or we're ready for a crash. So would you agree that we're kind of a complex system, aren't we? We have all these things going on, communicable attributes. As believers, we're redeemed. And we still have, we still have these challenges going on in our heart. Five years after Paul founded the church in Corinth, a group of people came and told him, Paul, there are some spiritual sensors malfunctioning among the Corinthian believers. They're having some crashes and meltdowns. Disunity is threatening to divide the church. Sexual immorality is burning out of control. Sex between a man and a woman that's supposed to be this great gift of God is being used as a weapon. Drunkenness, which characterizes all of Corinthians. You know what, Paul, this is crazy, I know, but it's starting to characterize the church. And spiritual gifts used to serve other people that God gives us to serve others, they're being used for for. In, in prideful ways, Paul, the spiritual sensors are malfunctioning. And so Paul writes this letter to deal with those sensors. And we see today in chapter 3 that Paul gets very practical about what we should do as believers and some things we have to tend to to keep our sensors clicking, to keep our sensors functioning. Paul doesn't use the word sensors Instead, he uses building materials. We'll see that today. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. We saw in verse 11, Paul said, Jesus is the only foundation. You get away from him, you're in for a crash. You get your eyes on people, you're in for a crash. You get your eyes on things, you're in for a crash. Jesus is our only foundation. Now, how do we build on that foundation? Paul says, now, if anyone builds on the foundation, that's the foundation of Jesus that he's just talked about, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, building materials, each one's work, each one's building, his work, his building, will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Paul, what are you talking about here? Paul says there is coming not a day, but what? The day. The day is the judgment of Jesus for believers. It's not the judgment between heaven and hell. It's the day that every believer will stand before God and God will eva- Christ will evaluate our works. 2 Corinthians 5:10, Paul calls it the judgment seat of Christ. There's a great white throne judgment. You don't want to be there. That's heaven and hell. The judgment seat of Christ is for our works. How have we built? 
And Paul says, if we have built what the right things are going to stand, if we haven't built with the right things, the refining fire is going to burn them up. Now, let's make sure we understand this. I want to emphasize this is not about heaven or hell. The judgment seat of Christ is for every believer. Summarized in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, that verse we know so well, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. Your works that we're talking about here are not the works that save you because no work can save you. It's all by grace. It's a gift of God, not the result of work so that no one can boast. Now here's the deal. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's workmanship. We have been created. He created us in Christ Jesus for, here we go, good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should what? We should do them. We should walk in them. So what materials are we using for those works? One day we'll stand before Jesus. Our words, Matthew 12 says, our words will be judged. Our secrets, Romans 2, will be judged. Our leadership, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, will be judged. Our actions, our desires will be judged before the, the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul says, here's what's going to happen. Look at verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survived, the foundation is Jesus, right? If the work that anyone has built will survive, he's going to receive a reward. Paul, what's the reward? Paul says, I don't care. Don't worry about that right now. I don't want you to be motivated by the reward. I want you to be motivated by the reward giver. I want you to be motivated by the one who is going to be judging you. If the work that anyone builds upon, the foundation survives, he's going to receive a reward. So here's a person who has built with things that survive. Gold, silver, precious stones. The refining fire of judgment has come. And those things stand. The building stands. Well done, good and faithful servant. Look at verse 15. If anyone's work is burned up, he will receive loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So here's a believer. They're going to heaven. They're going to be saved. But it's as if they just made it into heaven, escaping from a burning building. They just got there smelling like smoke. They're in heaven. Barely. All by grace but not because of any reward, not showing anything in their hands. Well, you say, well, who cares? I'm in heaven, right? I got there. What am I going to care if someone else has rewards and I don't? Well, that question kind of begs a spiritual gut check, doesn't it? It really... It really says where your, where your love for Christ is. You, you, you really want to show up before Jesus, the one who paid the penalty for your sin, the one who died on a cross for you, the one who left heaven itself and humbled, humbled himself 
to die on a cross for your sins and take on the wrath of God so you wouldn't have to? You want to stand before him and say, hey, nice place you have here. Where's that uh, mansion you promised you were going to build for me? I want to go check it out. There's no flippancy in standing before Jesus. What have you built with? That's the question. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? Now, the word you there is plural. And so Paul's talking to the whole church. He's writing to the whole church. Corinthians, don't you know, don't you get it, that you are God's temple? It's not the Old Testament temple anymore. You are God's temple. You are God's representatives. You're showing the world how this thing works. You're supposed to be impacting the culture. You're supposed to be building with good stuff. You're not supposed to be building with stuff that's going to burn up. Don't you get it? Don't you realize? And God's spirit dwells in each of you. No one has an excuse to build with bad stuff. God's spirit lives in us. He gives us everything we need to do what God's calling us to do. He empowers us. The church is a big deal. Bought with the blood of Christ. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Anyone who doesn't think our believers together, the church is a big deal. They're not reading scripture. Now, Paul says, if anyone else comes in, they're not a believer, and there are some in Corinth, and they try to destroy God's temple, God's church, then God's going to destroy them. It's going to be serious at the end. They're not a believer. For God's temple is holy. It is set apart. It's supposed to be making a difference in the world. As the church goes, so goes the culture. You are that temple. You're a part of that. Because the church is built person by person, brick by brick. Gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, straw, and straw. Verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone, if anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, you think you've got to figure it out on your, on your own, then let him become a fool that he may become wise. Humble yourself and get God's wisdom. For the wisdom of the world is, full, is folly to God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. Remember one of their problems, they were following all these different guys. I follow Paulus, I follow Paul says, cut it out. Our foundation is Jesus. Don't let anyone boast in man. Everything's yours. Paul's saying everything's yours. Teaching's yours. People are yours. You got all these things together. God has given you all these things for all are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or, or Cephas, or, or uh, Cephas is Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or future, all are yours. God has given you all this to enjoy. God has given you all this to build with gold and silver and precious stones. Build a life that counts. God has given you everything you need to build a life that counts. And you are Christ. And Christ is God's. 
Just as God, Christ, surrendered to the Father to come to this earth, so now you are Christ. Your identity is in him. Surrender to him to live a life that counts for eternity. That's what that, this passage is about. Are you building a life that counts for eternity? Or are you just going to get into heaven just barely as through the fire? So let's think about that. Let's just get practical. What, uh, what, is it, what do we need to do to build with the right material? What do we need to do to build with gold, silver, precious stones? Using the other analogy, what do we need to do to keep those spiritual sensors functioning so there's not a crash ahead? Here's the first one. Word and worship. We have to be involved in the word of God on a daily basis. You hear us say that here all the time because you cannot grow as a believer without being in God's word. You cannot build a house that, that's going to last without being in God's word. God's word instructs, instructs us, it convicts us, it corrects us, it trains us, for, it gets us back on the right track, it trains us. You cannot be a growing believer without being in God's word. And no one can make you do that. Balls in your court, tag, you're it. And you got to determine what you're going to do to be in God's word every day, starting tomorrow morning. What program are you going to follow? How are you going to make sure you are in God's word every day? You guys in this room are movers and shakers in Pittsburgh. Man, I hear about you all the time. You're running businesses. You're starting companies. You're doing all kinds of stuff. It's fantastic. And every one of you have spiritual goals. Every one of you have business goals. Every one of you have strategies for your business. So I'm going to challenge you with this. Take that same mindset and put it into practice in your spiritual life. What are your spiritual goals? What's the strategy to reach those goals? What are you going to do in your life to make sure you are further along next month than you were last month, next year than you were last year? What are you going to do? You do not have to wait to 2020 to figure that out. That starts tomorrow. Your spiritual goals. What are you going to do as a family? What are you going to do to make sure your family is growing and building with the right stuff? Word, worship. You've got to be involved in worship. I know coming to church does not make you a Christian. I get that. But Christians go to church. And when I mean that, I'm not saying they have to be in here. I'm saying Christians get together. Christians need each other. Communicable attributes. God's in community. That is a communicable attribute hardwired into us. We need to be in community. We need to be in relationship. We come and encourage one another Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Let us not consider, let us consider rather how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. In Hebrews, some people had already started saying, I don't need church. I got hockey. I got dance for my kids. I got soccer practice. The Steelers are playing at one. How am I going to get to church and get down to the game? That almost got as quiet as sex. <laughs> as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see what? The day, oh, what's the day? 
The day you're going to stand before Jesus and tell him all those cool things you did. Built with gold, silver, and precious stones. Word and worship. Acts of service. Acts of service are not stage stuff. Acts of service are not big things. I was, I was uh, mowing the grass the other day, listening to a podcast, and uh, this, it was very convicting. This guy said, quit saying, quit saying, I want to do great things for God. You ever said that? I've said that. I want to do great things for God. You know what's convicting? He said, when you say, I want to do great things for God, the subject is you, not God. And so he said, how about this? I want to do things for a great God. Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. He says, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water, I mean, that's a pretty small act, isn't it? No one really sees it, certainly not up front on the stage. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose what? His reward. Jesus puts it in the negative to emphasize it. He's going to get rewarded for that. That's some good stuff. A cup of cold water when no one else even sees doing things for a great God. The next one, honoring God through trials. Honoring God through trials. Anyone here ever been through a trial? Oh, come on. <laughs> Raise your hand. You're either, either, either getting ready to go through one, you're in one, or you're coming out of one, right? Are you going to honor God through them? How do you honor God through a trial, James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive what? That reward. The crown of life that God promised to those who love him. Anyone heard of Toby Mac, American uh, rapper? Um, Toby Mac just lost his 21-year-old son, Truett, just about three weeks ago. 21 years old. I can't even can't even imagine that, and I know some of you can because you've gone through it or going through it. L listen to what Toby Mac wrote. My, my wife and I want the world to know this. We don't follow God because we have some sort of under-the-table deal with him, like we'll follow you if you bless us. We follow God because we love him. It's our honor. He is the God of the hills and valleys, and he is beautiful above all things. Some of you are going through some tough stuff. And I know it's painful. But God's going to give you everything you need to honor him during those hills and valleys because you know what? He is beautiful above all things. Another way we build with eternal stuff is uh, growing deeper. We make sure that we are doing the things we need to do in our lives to grow deeper, whatever that is in your life. I don't know what it is in your life. 
For some of you, maybe it's starting living grounded just to get the foundational things down. For some of you, it's a, it's an, it's a personal Bible study. Uh, for some of you, it's, it's, it's actually getting up and serving someplace and stretching yourself in that. I, I don't know what it is for you, but what are you going to do to grow deeper? I don't have time to read all this, but Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 6 says, we have to grow deeper so that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine, but we'll grow up into him who is the head into Christ. And as believers, remember Paul told us last time, time to grow up, time to get serious. Time to make sure we are living our life in a way that's building with eternal stuff. Here's another one. Telling others about Jesus. Telling others about Jesus. One of our uh, five essentials is, is sharing the message of Christ. So we don't know what all the rewards are, but we know this. If we have had the privilege of leading a person to Jesus and we see them in heaven, that's our reward. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 19 and 20. For what is our hope, our joy, or crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord when he comes? What is it? Paul says, is it not you, Thessalonians? Indeed, you are our glory and joy because we've had the privilege of sharing Christ with you. God did it. He used us as an instrument. You want, you want to know what your rewards are in heaven? Talk to others about Jesus. Uh, here's one. Spiritual leadership in church and home. Men and women who will say, I'm ready to step it up. I'm ready to step up my service in the church. I'm willing to make the time sacrifices to do the things I need to do to really lead a ministry. I want to be trained, impassioned, and engaged. But it doesn't just happen in the church. It's time for moms and dads to step up and lead their families. It's time for moms and dads to be the parents of these great gifts that God has given them. I, I, I'm always humored when we as parents, and I've done it too, say, ah, Lee, this millennial generation, what's going on? Or this Gen Z generation, my goodness, what's going on? Guys, we raised them. They didn't just show up on our doorstep when they were like 12 years old. We brought them into the world. We raised them. And so it's time for us to say we're going to be the parents. We're going to demonstrate what it looks like to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ. You cannot impart what you don't possess. If you are not clicking on all those sensors, if you're not growing deeper, how in the world do you expect your kids to take the faith seriously? And then we say they're leaving the church in droves. My goodness, it must be the culture. Seriously? 
Could it be the home? Could it be that we didn't do the things we needed to do? Could it be that we spoiled them rotten? You don't understand, Ron. There are cliques in the church. Guys, there have been cliques since Genesis chapter 3. Cain and Abel complained of cliques to Adam and Eve. Not really. I was just, I was just kidding. There are cliques all over the place. A positive, you know what a positive click is called? A friend group. It's only negative when I'm not in that friend group. So I get my own friend group, and I bring my own click all over the church. It's not teenagers. It's 80-year-olds. That's just who we are. We're made for this community, and sometimes sinful nature didn't work out right. But we don't stop coming to church or school or work because there are cliques. There are even cliques in our home. Lori likes the kids more than she likes me. (laughs) But I still hang out there. (laughs) Is it possible to do something? Let me think about this. So would it be possible, would it be possible to like really be cranking in your Christian walk for years? and then blow it at the end. 2 John 1.8, watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for. Oof, that's, that's convicting, isn't it? One bad step away until we die. Be careful what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Listen to what Paul says. If you read Paul, he always, I don't know if Paul's psyche, I'm no psychologist, but just, it just seems like, it seems like Paul's worried about this. Paul's worried about losing it at the end. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, no, I beat my body and make it a slave. Not literally, but he disciplines himself so that after I have preached to others, I myself might not be disqualified for the prize. Can happen at the end, right? Anyone, uh, anyone watch the Steelers-Brown game on Thursday night? So like the Browns win, it's a big deal when the Browns win, Right? For 59 minutes and 52 seconds, great game. I mean, if you're a Browns fan. But it all got lost in the last eight seconds. So that no one's talking about the win. Everyone's talking about the brawl, the suspensions, the fines. I was reading one of the news feeds, and it even had... Uh, the Browns' victory in in quotes. Uh, In the win-loss column, it's a win, right? So they got to heaven. But when everyone talks about the game, they say, golly, that was terrible. 
I don't want anyone talking about me like that, right? I know he's in heaven, but that was an ugly stretch at the end. Yeah. You can lose everything you work for. That's why you don't slide for home. That's why you don't retire from the Christian life. That's why God has called you to be in the game until he calls you out of the game. As long as you're alive, you're giving it all you got. You're in the, you're on, you're in the game. But then he calls you out, you can enjoy. Perry Morgan and Nancy Morgan have been members of our church for a long, long time. In last uh, January, first of this year, Perry was diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer. He passed away just a few weeks ago. And we had his uh, memorial service. And uh, Nancy uh, gave me a, a sheet of something she had read, and, and I read it at the service. I won't read all of it today. But I want you to think about it in light of these spiritual sensors that we've got to have clicking and, and, and this building material that has to be eternal stuff. She said, um, she wrote, this, this man that all of us have come together to, to honor and celebrate is a son of the living God. Jesus Christ is his Savior and Lord. And this is the only thing that brings me and our family comfort during this time of grief. The fact that we know that we know that Perry is in the presence of his father and the Lord Jesus. Knowing that Perry is no longer suffering, that there's no more pain, no more sorrow. Knowing that Perry is more alive right now than ever he was in this place called earth. And then um, Nancy said just some great things here, but she said this, we all put decisions off. We all think we have tomorrow. We think we have 20 years or more. But trust me, trust our family. You may not have tomorrow. You may not even have tonight. Perry did not want to be separated from us, his family. Your creator, your heavenly father does not not want to be separated from you. And so he has provided for you the way back to the acceptance of his son as your savior and Lord. He has provided your way home. Perry is home. This life's short. None of us are guaranteed another day. This is the deal. One of these days we're gonna stand before Jesus and we're going to be judged on how we, how, we, how we did here. We're going to be in heaven. Don't you want to hear? Well done. Good and faithful servant. Man, you had some great building material there. Or you want to get to heaven just smelling like smoke. Father, deal, deal with us. Help us to change whatever we need to change, not next week or tomorrow, because we're not even guaranteed that, but like today, 
to build with things that count for eternity on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ alone. That's our prayer. In Christ's name.